and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast. I am Karolina Toth and I speak with engineering leaders bi-weekly. It is my pleasure to welcome back Uncle Bob. He was on episode 15 of the podcast. Um, He is behind everything clean code. So if you are a programmer or a technology leader, uh, you better know his name. And I'm sure most of our listeners will probably know know you and of your work and perhaps your work. Today, um, we are going to talk about a topic that we actually got started on during our last conversation. In episode 15, we ended on a note talking about ethics in software development and how it can be applied and what kind of a professional standard we need to um, adhere to as software developers. So this is what we are going to talk about today. Without further ado, um, my guest is Robert C. Martin, aka Uncle Bob. And um, I would like to first ask you to tell a few words about yourself to our listeners. Oh, heavens, certainly. Let's see, I I became a programmer probably at the age of 12, although no one would hire me at the age of 12. But I wrote my first little bit of code at the age of 12, and the year was 1964. (laughs) So um, let's say I think that means that I will have been programming for 58 years now. (laughs) I Um, I got my first real professional job as a programmer at the tender age of of 16, although it was a very short-lived employment. I got my first permanent employment as a programmer at the age of 18, and I've been programming ever since. That's just, you know, what I do. I like to program. And yes, over the years, I've had a career which led me into management and then led me out of management, and then I founded a company, and then I dissolved that company. And what I really like to do is sit at my keyboard and write code and explore the beauty of coding cleanly and efficiently and uh, ethically. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Thank you for bringing it back to our topic. So if there is an individual contributor or a technology leader listening to us, what would you tell them? Why should they care about ethics in software development? Our industry is very young. The very first bit of code to execute on an electronic computer was probably in 1945 or 1946. And that's a a fairly short period of time. That's less than 80 years, less than the lifetime of a human being, uh, most human beings. And, And so we have not yet had the time to understand the ethical impact of what it is that we do. For the first 50 years, the ethical impact was relatively small. Computers did not drive everything back then. Even up to 30 years ago, computers were not in everyone's homes. We did not have 
uh, personal computers. We did not have computers on our wrists or, or computers in our pockets. We did not have computers mounted on the wall. We did not have computers in our microwave ovens or our dishwashers or our washing machines or our cars. Computers were far away from us most of the time. Nowadays, however, that's very different. There are computers everywhere. The, the modern human being, in the Western world at least, and probably in most of the world, is surrounded by a sea of little computers everywhere. Their phones, their watches, their thermostats, their clocks, their, their, their appliances, their cars. And our civilization is dominated by software. Nothing happens in our society nowadays. Nothing happens in our society without software being right in the middle of it all. Our society, our civilization, depends on software. And that means it depends on programmers. And those programmers, whom everything depends upon, have no code of ethics, have virtually no profession. There is nothing that we profess. There is no set of standards, no set of disciplines, no base ethics that we all agree are the right things to support our civilization. And I consider that to be a very unstable situation. Something is going to have to give because sooner or later there will be a disaster and that disaster will dominate the politics of the time and cause legislation to be enacted that deeply constrains our industry. <laughs> and we should be prepared for that, I am well, assuming. We need to get ahead of it. <laughs> we um, better be ready with a code of ethics and a set of disciplines and standards so that when the disaster occurs, and there will be a disaster, there's no doubt about that, when that disaster occurs, we have an answer for the politicians who will very aggressively want to uh, regulate us. <laughs> right, right. And we should probably have a united front as to what we stand for in uh, software development. That would be a good thing. <laughs> all right, all right. So before we get into how this is actually going to be done, um, Let's talk a little about how it can be applied. Um, what what are some things that you either foresee as as possibilities that are happening? Um, if I recall correctly, we talked about um, autonomous cars last time we talked, and and how they propose a huge threat, something that usually or originally was only discussed by philosophers but is now an actual reality for, for people who own Teslas. Um, so, so how do you see ethics being applied in software development? It's not just Teslas, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, it, most modern cars nowadays have some, some uh, amount of automatic control, whether it's the braking system, or the steering system, or the, or the engine management system. There are computers sitting in the middle of all of those devices, exerting control influences over the head of the driver, or uh, in, in response to the driver. So, so this ethical question has 
taken on quite a bit of meaning, even today, even before we have truly autonomous cars. So how does this impact us? How does it apply? Well, we as an industry do not understand, do not have a set of quality standards. What is quality software? What, what does it mean for software to be well-made? Do we understand that? Do you understand that? Do we have a, an agreed-upon framework that tells us that this software was well-made? We'd like to have that, of course. We'd like to know that the software in our cars was well-made, the software that decides whether or not the brakes should truly be engaged. We'd like to know that those, that software was well-made. We would like to know that the software that, fl that run in the airplanes that we fly in, uh, we would like to know that that is well-made. How do we make that determination? What standard can we use to decide whether that software is well-made? And at the moment, we have no such standard. There are independent bodies that try, um, but they don't often succeed. And so we wind up with, oh, uh, people being killed by the, uh, the malfunctioning of the software in their cars, or people being killed by the malfunctioning of the software in the airplanes they fly in. Uh, one can imagine uh, much worse things happening as well. So without this kind of background of disciplines and standards of ethics, we have to put a big question mark above our heads and say, well, what... What does it mean for software to be well-made? And how well-made must it be for a microwave oven as opposed to uh, a jet airliner? <laughs> right, right. What does it mean for you? I, I have some ideas as to what you're going to say, but um, I'm really curious. In your opinion, what's, what's quality software? Quality software is software that the programmers know works and know they can uh, adjust easily. Quality software is software that is easy to change. It does not impose uh, a high burden of cost on the customers who want that software when they want changes to it. Quality software is software that works according to what the uh, customer demands, that it it performs the job at hand without the risk of strange behaviors or crashes or rebooting every midnight or whatever the, the, uh, the problem is. And the programmers know that that software is correct. One of our, one of our problems over the years has been an ethical problem of deploying software that the programmers are not sure of. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you're talking about, you know, a microwave oven, you might have a lower standard than you still uh, don't want it to blow up an airliner. Right. But right. You still don't want to blow up your kitchen with your microwave oven. So you do not want to blow up your kitchen with your microwave oven. But there's even more to it than that. Most microwave ovens nowadays have the option of being on your Wi-Fi. Most refrigerators have the option of being on your Wi-Fi. Most thermostats have the option of being on your Wi-Fi. And if they are on your Wi-Fi, they are on the Internet. And if they are on the Internet, they are vulnerable, possibly vulnerable, to being taken over 
by malicious characters in the outside world and used, then used to attack others through denial of service attacks or other kinds of internet malfeasance. <laughs> mm -hmm. And therefore, the, the implications of having any software at all put on the internet is uh, pretty severe. First of all, I'm thinking I live I live in the 20th century because my fridge is not on my Wi-Fi. But uh, I I I really do see what you're what you're getting at here. So let me maybe pick apart uh, what you just said about quality software a little bit, because what immediately came to my mind about you know easy to change and being up to par with the expectations of the customer and working accordingly to to whatever the expectations were. Who is to say that the software is easy to change? Is it in man hours, you know? Like if it takes more than how many hours for one, what kind of software developer? For somebody who has been in the industry for two years, four years, five years. So is there a common policing effort that we would need perhaps? In, in the software development industry or or would it be up to everyone to to decide for themselves whether or not they're there's i mean this is what we're doing but <laughs> if we were in a in a more agreed upon world in the software development do you have any kind of imagination about how this would be so in general, I think this needs to be policed at the lowest possible level. Every software developer polices themselves. Within a team, the team polices itself. Within a company, the company polices itself. Uh, I am not someone who envisions a grand central authority that, that bequeaths upon the world a set of standards and ethics. I don't, I don't think that's the right solution. I do think, however, that the current state of software is one in which software developers know that they are releasing bad software. They know it. And, and they, they do so because they feel they are under pressure, economic pressure and employment <laughs> pressure, to violate their principles. Whatever, whatever principles they may have, they feel like they must violate those principles for the sake of their jobs. And that's something I think, as a general rule, we should fight against. That we software developers should not, should not be deploying software that we fear may be substandard, that we fear may malfunction, that we fear may be difficult to change. We need to adopt the attitude of a professional. And a professional does not accede to the demands of a mere schedule. Mm -hmm. I think the doctor parallel that you, that you drew before really makes it click for me. You know, like doctors have a set of standards that they have to live up to and they only adhere to time pressures when the the physical time pressure is there although i don't know about the american healthcare system but um, my imagination is that if a doctor takes the oath they will be true to that oath as long as they practice medicine so 
I am imagining. We hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's hope so. <laughs> uh, but I'm imagining from what you just said that maybe there could be some ethics classes to software developers to begin with in college, but not all software developers go to college, right? So would we have to pass a bar to become an actual software developer? Would that be something that you that you think could raise the bar for, for the entire industry? <laughs> I don't know that that's the right approach. Uh, it may be. Maybe we have to become like the lawyers. Maybe we have to become like the doctors. Maybe we need a central organization that, that polices the basic set of ethics and standards. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. I, I, I hope not. <laughs> I prefer a more distributed approach. It seems to me that it would be better if we had a, a guild structure where, where programmers adhered to a set of ethics and standards defined by their guild and there uh -huh. are several guilds out there. And then the market could decide which guilds they wished to uh, use for their, the certain kind of software that they were, they were building. I think that might be better. I'm also slightly intrigued by the idea of a completely distributed mechanism, something on the order of cryptocurrency, where, where the ability of a software developer to be recognized as ethical is somehow distributed peer-to-peer -peer rather than through some kind of middleman organization. I don't know how that would work, but this is certainly the century of the distributed crypto kind of uh, development of trust. Right. I love that. So it sounds like in this case, which I think I, I, I would stand for this case. Everybody is responsible for, for ethical software development. Yes. Yeah, certainly. Uh, just as every doctor is, just as every lawyer is, just as every plumber is, you know, individually you are responsible and individually you should not be able to point to your management and say, well, management made me do it. Wow. That happened so many times in history. I, <laughs> I don't want to get into that, but uh, I, I, was I see. Following orders, yeah. Yeah, I see. I see where you're coming from. How could we make it a benefit for our DNA to make software that adheres to the standards that you just mentioned? You know, because you said sometimes there are business pressures and software has to be released when it's not quite ready per the opinion of its developers. Do you have any tactics or, or ideas for us to, to explore as to make it a benefit for the company to, to create ethical software rather than have a benefit to release faster? So I think it's always a benefit to create ethical software. And I, if you were to ask, any organization, any manager at all, do you want to ship software that might crash and kill people or do you want to ship software that is safe? And it's kind of obvious what the answer is going to be there. So the, the issue of managers or organizations attempting to push substandard software is a 
it's not the right model. It's not the right way to think about it. None of those organizations, none of those managers really want bad software to be deployed. The problem is they don't understand what software is. They don't understand what's going on underneath the hood. They can't look under the hood. They have no way to see in there that the software is poorly constructed. The only people who know that the software is poorly constructed are the developers themselves. And so what we need to have is, is the courage, <laughs> the, the uh, intestinal fortitude to say to our managers and to our organizations, this software cannot be deployed. For though it appears to work, it is not ready. This is certainly the way lawyers and doctors behave. This is the way architects behave nowadays. You know, this is the, in most cases, there are always, you know, side cases. But in most cases, we trust the professionals. You know, we do not inhabit a house if the architect says that the house is not yet safe to inhabit. You know, we will not go live in that house and take our family into that house, right? Unless the architect blesses it, unless the construction company blesses it. Uh, we don't do these things. And that's also what's going to have to happen in the software industry. The final authority must lie with the engineer, with the developer. The final blessing of the product to say that it is ready to ship must lie with the developers themselves and not with the organization. I love that. <laughs> How do you think we should get started on this? Oh, I think we get started about, on it by talking about it, by getting ahead of the problems that we've already seen occur. We've, we've, there are, have been a number of these kinds of software disasters that, that have crept up on us over the last couple of decades. And we, as software developers, need to get ahead of that and talk to each other and encourage each other, right? We must set ourselves up as the final authority. We are the ones who decide whether or not the software is ready to be deployed. And we should have a set of standards that we measure that by. Is the software easy to change? Is the software functional? Is there a risk that it could crash? Is, you know, is, are there little if statements in there that don't have the proper code in the unlikely cases? Are there exceptions that are thrown that are not properly caught? Do we have any possible <laughs> race conditions? Uh, have we measured the size of our stacks under the most uh, egregious interrupt load? These, these kinds of things are really important. Uh, and and it, it, is, it is unfortunate that at the moment we sometimes deploy software we have not, where we have not met those standards. Right. A number of people have been killed because, because we have not met those standards. Right. So we are now talking about it. I am hoping that there will be some kind of a conversation under our YouTube video or somewhere on the internet and people will start throwing in ideas. What do you suggest to individuals who are perhaps listening to us? Um, how should they go about it? What, what are some of the steps that they can take within their organizations or within their communities? Well, I think, I think it's a, a matter of talking about it, talking about it to each other, talking about it to managers. I think it's also a, a matter of understanding that the risks 
are so much higher than they used to be. You know, programmers got into this business almost by a, a trivial accident. You know, most of us became programmers because we wrote an infinite loop and saw our name get printed on the screen infinitely and thought, oh man, that's so cool. I want to do this for the rest of my life. And now we're faced with this fascinating dilemma that we could be killing people. <laughs> we could be destroying people's fortunes. We could be interfering with people's lives in very significant ways. And we've got to take that to heart. And, and you can't make the, the excuse that, well, my company is going to take care of that. They're dealing with all the legal issues. Or, or you can't use the excuse that, well, this is just gaming software, and so it really doesn't matter. Or this is just a thermostat. It really doesn't matter. It all matters. <laughs> so individual responsibility is what I hear you kind of Always. come back to. Always individual responsibility, the sovereignty of the individual. Absolutely. I love that. So now we are in this space. What kind of timeline do you envision? Is there or is it just one big tragedy or something that really makes the news that you think is going to make it a, a hotter topic? I, I, it's a race. I mean, there there could be a catastrophe. We've already had several, and and uh, they've been pretty bad. <laughs> and and and, it, and at some point, there will be one that overrides that that just shakes the world and has the world going. My God, we've got to do something about this. And I I, I hope that we as a an industry, we as software developers, can get ahead of that and be in front of that. So so that when it occurs, we are ready with a set of recommendations, perhaps even recommendations that we are already following. That would be even better. Right. <laughs> but I, I do believe it's a race. And the, the number of incidents has been accelerating. Uh, we used to talk about the loss of a space probe, right? Oh, heavens, the, a comma, a missing comma destroyed a multi-million dollar space probe. That was kind of the, the level of of disaster that people used to talk about 20 or 30 years ago. Nowadays, it's much closer to home. Nowadays, you've got two 737s that fell out of the sky under acceleration and, and left to great big smoking craters in the ground, primarily due to a software issue that everybody should have understood before those planes ever took off. Right? Nowadays, we can, we've seen the the incredible malfeasance of a an automobile that could detect when it was placed on the environmental protection test stands and would adjust its emissions so that it would pass the environmental tests and then it would revert back to heavily emitting yeah i'm laughing at this because what right. else can you do but i mean that's that's really criminal and the uh, the software developers involved with that some of them went to jail over that and should have gone to jail over that. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that uh, it, it's it's something that they like teach because it was such a big deal and it should have been. I mean, I completely agree with you. Well, you are definitely an influencer within the industry. Why does this topic matter to you? I mean, I talk to a lot of leaders and this is the first time that this is really the topic of conversation. 
and I haven't seen it at conferences come up a lot. Um, why, why is this close to home for you? Well, for one thing, it's my industry. It's an industry I've been in for well over half a century, and it matters to me. It matters to me how the world perceives the character of software developers. That, I think that's important. It, it, it's also a matter of sheer responsibility. The burden that has been placed on software developers, on programmers, is well beyond anything any of us thought would be on our shoulders. We now carry, literally we carry, the lifeblood of civilization. Civilization does not function without software now. And so we, software developers, carry that. And, and we are not behaving as though we carry that, that weight. And so as a programmer, I want other programmers to behave in a an upright, stalwart way, <laughs> acknowledging the responsibility that's on our shoulders and facing what is to come, which is going to be even more responsibility on our shoulders. Right. And, and it's fascinating. You, you uh, look at the, the threads in some of the conversations where they, they talk about the possibility that uh, computer programs will eventually write their own programs. Right. right, the the uh, deep learning and machine learning. Eventually, you'll just tell the computer what what you want it to do, and it will automatically write the program. This, in my view, is all a way of avoiding the problem of taking the responsibility on our own shoulders. Right, and I agree with you. And I think a lot of times we say, you know, like it's an algorithm that learns, and it's out of our hands, but it learns from us. We could see this when uh, some company released the Twitter bot and it became racist within, you know, a couple minutes. So, <laughs> it <was> so, good. <laughs> so this is in line with what you're saying. We should be the one who take responsibility for our programs. And even if it becomes autonomous and the computer will program itself, it's still somewhere our responsibility to make it good yeah absolutely I, you know i'm a pilot i i fly a small airplane from time to time and and that that small airplane has a very good autopilot on board the autopilot can fly the plane virtually for the entire trip it can make all the turns and adjustments and it, it's very very good and if while that plane was flying if the autopilot malfunctioned and crashed that airplane into an orphanage killing, you know, a hundred little kids, that would be my responsibility as the pilot. I'm the one who supervises that autopilot. I am still the one who is responsible. The, the machines are never responsible. Right. Uh, thank you. Thank you for reiterating <laughs> that. I really do think that there, the backbone of our conversation is everybody is responsible for what they are doing. And this is the stance from where we should look at the profession as a whole yes. and perhaps educate the individual software developers to the best of our abilities. That's why I said ethics classes, but I would like to ask you to say, how can they become better software developers? So they write code that is easy to change and easy to make 
live up to the customer's expectations. Yeah, well, mechanically, that's a matter of just learning the techniques, right? And there, there are now many well-known techniques for creating software that is robust, that's easy to change, that's well-tested, that can be trusted. We understand how to do that now. We didn't used to, but over the last several decades, we have developed the disciplines and the standards that allow that to take place. What we have not developed properly is the emotional attitude, and that's where the ethics come in. One of the most insidious behaviors of a software developer, of a human being, but of a software developer in particular, is the behavior of passive aggression, where we know that we're going to be doing something bad, but it's somebody else's fault. It's the manager's fault. They told me to do it. They're the ones. They set this schedule. It's not my problem that I just wrote a load of crap that's now going to... (laughs) That that attitude is the the fundamental attitude of the unprofessional. That's what it means to be unprofessional. That's what it means to be irresponsible. You are not taking responsibility. You are shuttling it off to someone else. And that's the thing that I want to attack most. <laughs> Thank you. I completely agree with you, to be honest. And uh, and I, I usually I usually advocate for uh, for everybody taking responsibility for for what they're doing, uh, not just in software development, but in any part of the life that we lead. Um, we have covered a lot of ground um, today. I am trying to give something tangible to our listeners. If somebody really takes our conversation seriously, or if somebody has been pondering the same ideas, what is it that they can do in their own environment? Talk about it. Yes, that's one thing. But is there something specific, the way to lead some some ideas from you, perhaps, as to how can they make their voices heard? I have written a book. The title of the book is Clean Craftsmanship, and the, the content of that book is a set of disciplined standards and ethics, a proposal for a set of disciplined standards and ethics. Uh, and I would start with that. Start there, read that book, see if that resonates within you. Right? See if, that, if the, the standards and the ethics and the disciplines within that book, highly technical book, Deeply technical, lots of code, and also lots of behavioral ideas. See if those those disciplines and standards and ethics resonate with you. And if they do, then yes, continue to talk about it with others. And adjust your own behavior. Again, it comes down to personal responsibility. Adjust your own behavior to make sure that whatever standards, disciplines, and ethics you adopt, you follow those. Uh, and they are the, you know, the fundamental principles of your career. You can talk to others. You can form groups inside your company. Um, why wouldn't you do that? Get, get a lunchtime group together. Get a, uh, a Saturday group together. Talk about these issues. Talk about them with your managers. You, know, you can ask your managers, do you want us to ship crap? <laughs> Going to say no. Right. They will also impress upon you the importance of time, and time is always important, of course, but then then we need to have the discussion. 
you know, the, the negotiation. Well, okay, time is important, but quality is important, but ethics are important. How do we balance that? And that is, that is always going to be a matter of discussion amongst all the principals, a discussion that generally does not take place right now. As this continues, hopefully, this will go out to customers. You know, you can imagine a company saying, our software developers have adopted a set of discipline standards and ethics, and that means that you, customer, will have greater security, greater comfort, greater uh, value in the products that we supply. You can imagine that becoming a marketing message. You can imagine the business world turning and saying, oh, wait a minute, we supply the quality, not just the speed. I use a software product when I'm in the airplane. Uh, it's a software product called ForeFlight. The developers of ForeFlight, I have the highest regard for those guys. I have never seen this software crash. I have never seen it misbehave in any kind of uh, significant way. Every, every once in a while there's a minor thing. But, but you know, generally speaking, when I get in the airplane and I'm using that piece of software, I feel pretty comfortable with it. And that is a, the, the highest praise I can give to a set of software developers. I will allow my life to depend upon what, what those guys have done, <laughs> right? And that's, that's a very powerful message. I love that. So I am hearing that we need software developers who are responsible for their work. We need software developers who do the best they can. So they are professional in the very hard skill sense of the word, they follow clean code principles and they will remind their colleagues, perhaps if uh, their colleagues haven't been following their clean code principles. And also a software developer who is open to discussion and can stand up for um, his ideals as to what kind of software they want to release. So the third thing really keeps resonating with me with the more people I talk from software development, the more it's highlighted that conversing and communication is really important. And you should also, you know, have those skills developed if you haven't yet, even though you are a software developer. And our conversation makes it sound like, especially because you are a software developer. <laughs> um, I've been married for 49 years to uh, a wonderful woman. Congratulations. Who upon me very early on that communication was the key. <laughs> communicate, communicate, communicate. Which right. by the way is, is not in the DNA of most programmers. Most programmers don't want to communicate. They want to be busy typing, right? They don't want to communicate. Uh, and it's a, a skill that all developers have to learn. Thank you. I wasn't the one who said it, dearest listeners and watcher. I wasn't the one who said it. Thank you so much for <laughs> stating that. Awesome. A lot of things have been covered by us today. I think this will be a good conversation starter for anyone in the industry and people should read your book and should get into the habit of taking responsibility for their work if they haven't yet and uh, continue to do so if they have. Is there anything else that you would like to add to today's conversation? Just this. There is a certain joy 
to finishing a day of work and knowing that you have done a good job. You go home and you look in the mirror and you think, you know what, I did a damn good job today. That is a joy that too many software developers do not experience <laughs> and should. You know, so get addicted to that joy. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. This is really great. Thank you for coming on the show again. Where can our listeners follow you, reach out to you? Oh, heavens. I, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Uncle Bob Martin. All one word, all lowercase, of course. And uh, uh, you can go to my website, which is cleancoder.com. Uh, you can go to my video website, which is cleancoders.com. The plural of cleancoder.com. And I think that's about all. Those are my primary access points to the internet. All right. All right. Thank you so, so much. This is really getting uh, me started and fired up about creating quality software for everyone. And also I will have to check out my fridge and make sure it is not connected <laughs> to the Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> Dearest listeners and watchers, it was my pleasure to have Uncle Bob on Level Up Engineering again. Thank you so much for blessing us with your time. Um, I think this conversation will give anyone food for thought. Um, and I, I hope we get to speak again at some point in our lives because oh, this so was too. fun. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, um, dearest listeners and watchers. I am Carolina Toth and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time.